0: To invite Andrew uh, up, who is going to be speaking to us uh, uh, today. Um, I realise we haven't rehearsed this, Andrew. No, but, uh, we haven't. <laughs> <laughs> and you're a man who's very good at rehearsals, and I'm a man who's not. <laughs> but uh, oh, true. Um, but Andrew, I thought uh, as you came to bring us uh, uh, God's Word, why not just could you just tell us maybe where you're based and um, what what maybe what got you into the Mark drama originally? Um, I live in Southampton. Uh, what got me into the Mark drama? Uh, Well, I was was a mission partner in Austria, and I was asked to speak at a conference on Mark's Gospel. And um, I started studying Mark's Gospel and began to discover or invent a structure. And then I began to think, you could do a drama with this. So I tried it out with some guinea pigs in, not literal guinea pigs, uh, (laughs) tried it out with guinea pigs in uh, Austria, and I found it worked. So I've been doing it since 2004. Well, as, uh, as you come to bring us God's word, let me just say a word of prayer. Dearest God, King of kings and Lord of lords, thank you that you've brought Andrew uh, to us for the last few days. Thank you for his creativity and his love for you and how you have uh, used him in this marked drama to help many people uh, see uh, Jesus in a new and fresh way. And we pray, Father God, for your blessing on him and us all as we come to your word, Father. May our hearts and our ears be open. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Adam. I'm going to stand up here because I'm a little bit shorter than you are. (laughs) (laughs) It's an honor for me to be here. Thank you very much. I've really enjoyed doing Mark Drama with your amazing team. Uh, They really have been great, uh, and that's been an honor and a pleasure to work with them, and what they did last night was great. Could you nod at me if you came to the Mark Drama yesterday evening? there are about three people here that's great and and um i hope that you will consider coming to the mark drama at six o'clock this evening because it's really worth coming to although you're not going to believe that from me because i'm the mark drama man but talk to other people who were there last night um it would be great if you had the bible passage open in front of you Uh, if you've lost the passage it's page 1188 page 1188 in the church bibles it's john 18 verses 1 to 11. It's a great passage to look at as you begin the journey to Easter. Because we're all on a journey to Easter. In some ways, that starts now. Uh, In John's Gospel, John has told us about the foot washing. John has told us about the teaching that Jesus gave his disciples in chapters 14, 15, and 16. And John has told us about the prayer that God, that Jesus prayed to his Father in chapter 17. And now from chapter 18 onwards, we get the last steps to the cross and the resurrection. This is a journey to Easter. And it's, in, it's like the Holy Spirit is inviting us to go on this journey in these coming weeks leading up to Easter. So, my prayer for us as we look at this passage together is that we'll be open to the Holy Spirit. And that we will meet Jesus again. I've called this Focus on Jesus. You could actually give that title to any passage in John's Gospel, obviously. Because John is focusing on Jesus. He wants us to see who Jesus is. And he wants us to trust Jesus and follow Jesus. So let's be open to the Spirit and look at these verses together. Firstly, in verses 1 to 3, what Jesus does... Verse 1, when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now, we know from the other Gospels that garden is called Gethsemane. And we know from the other Gospels that Jesus prayed a prayer in Gethsemane. But John doesn't tell us that. For John, there's something even more important than that. Verse 2. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Can you see what Jesus does? He deliberately goes somewhere where he knows that Judas is going to be able to find him. Because when he was in Jerusalem, he often went there with his disciples. So he goes there knowing that Judas will be able to find him. He knows that Judas is going to betray him This is what Jesus does. He goes to the garden deliberately. And that's what happens, verse 3. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers, and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees, they were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. That's what Jesus does. He's not running away. He's not running away from his arrest. He's not running away from his betrayal. He's not running away from his cross. That's what Jesus does. Secondly, in verses 4 to 9, who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. Verse 4. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked him, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said, and Judas the traitor was standing there with them. Now, John mentions that Judas is there. The other gospel writers tell us that Judas went up to Jesus and kissed him the kiss of betrayal. I just have to say that's an extraordinary decision on Judas's part, isn't it? He could have said, I'll betray Jesus, I'll point out Jesus to you by tapping him on the shoulder. But he says to the Jewish leaders, I'll kiss him. But John doesn't tell us this. John knows that happened because he was there. But for John, there's something even more important. Even more important for John is that we notice this. Jesus goes out to the people that are coming, the people, the temple guard, the Roman soldiers, and he says, Who is it you want? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, look and see again, please, how Jesus replies. The second half of verse five, he says, I am he. Now, in the Greek, what Jesus actually says is, I am. Now, that may just mean, I am the one you're looking for. I am he. But I am is the name of God in the Old Testament. I am is the name of God. Do you remember the story of Moses meeting God at the burning bush? There are a few nodding heads. And... God was calling Moses to bring his people out of Egypt, out of slavery. And Moses says to God at the burning bush, what is your name? And God says, I am who I am. God is the eternal one. He's the I am. And now, is, now here is Jesus in the garden Saying to the people who've come to arrest him, I am. I don't think he just means, it's me. I think he's saying, I am God. He's claiming to be God. I am. I'm the I am. I'm the eternal son of God. That is who Jesus is. And I don't know if the people who were there really understood that. I think they probably didn't. I think they thought he just meant, it's me, Jesus of Nazareth. On the other hand, something extraordinary happened to those people who'd come to arrest him. Have a look at verse 6. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So something big happens here. They are freaked out by what's happening. Somehow there is some sort of supernatural event happening there, isn't there? They fall back and they fall down. This is an extraordinary moment. And I think it's because Jesus is revealing himself to be I am. He is the eternal Son of God. This this description of Jesus as I am comes a number of times in John's Gospel. When Jesus walks on the water, you know the story, the disciples are freaked out, they think it's a ghost. Jesus comes on the water to the boat, and as he gets to the boat, he says to the disciples, don't be afraid, I am. Jesus is revealing himself to them as God. Only God can walk on water. That's John chapter 6, verse 20. Or in chapter 8, three times it comes, Jesus describes himself as I am, the eternal one, God himself. Uh, uh, that's in uh, John chapter 8, verses 24 and 28. It's also there at the end of John chapter 8, when Jesus says to the religious leaders, Abraham was really glad to see me come into the world and the religious leaders say what are you talking about abraham lived years ago and jesus says before abraham was i am not just before abraham was i was that would mean i existed before abraham no no he says before abraham was i am I'm the eternal God. And we know that they understood that because the next verse tells us they picked up stones to stone him for blasphemy. They knew that he was claiming to be God when he said, before Abraham was, I am. That's John chapter 8, verse 58. And now here is Jesus in Gethsemane saying to the Roman soldiers and the temple guard... I am. Oh, this should fill us with awe. It happens again. Look at verse 7. Again he asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am. If you are looking for me, let let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. So Jesus says it again. I am. I am. Do you believe that about Jesus? Do you believe that he's the eternal God, the eternal Son of God? He's not just a great teacher, he is. He is much more than that. He is God himself. And actually, it's very logical very logical that if god wants to reveal himself to us it's very logical that he comes into this world as a human being i want you to help me i want you to imagine something for me this will be quite difficult so steel yourselves imagine there are three insects on my hand and they're discussing whether andrew exists it's a big question among insects Now, they can't see me, because I'm so big and they're so small. And they're discussing whether Andrew exists, and one of the insects says, yes, I think probably Andrew does exist. Another insect says, no, I don't think so. I don't think Andrew exists, that's just a faith for weak insects. And the third insect says, I don't know. I'm an agnostic insect. Some people got the joke, thank you, very good. Now, imagine that I love... This is going to get harder and harder for you. Imagine I love these insects. Imagine that I know that they can only experience real fullness of life in a friendship with me. Imagine I want to reveal myself to them. And imagine that I can do anything. How can I reveal myself to them? Well, there are a number of possibilities. Hello? we now have three deaf insects <laughs> there's another possibility they now realize there is a power outside themselves but they can't experience a friendship with me now the best thing if i love these insects i know that they can if i know that they can only experience fullness of life in a friendship with me and I want to reveal myself to them, and I can do anything. The best way for me to reveal myself is to become an insect and live among them. And then sooner or later, one of them will say, you know, there's something different about you. You're an insect, but there's something different about you. And then I can say, I'm Andrew. I'm from Southampton. Now, that... Illustration doesn't prove anything at all. But it shows it's very logical. If God loves us, and I'm sure he does, and if he knows that we can only experience real life in a friendship with him, and I'm sure he does, and if he wanted to reveal himself, and I'm sure he did. then it's absolutely logical that he should come into our world as a human being, isn't it? And live amongst us. And introduce himself to us. And say to us, I am. And that's what Jesus is doing here in the garden. This is who Jesus is. I am the eternal Son of God. What Jesus does... Who Jesus is. And thirdly, why Jesus came. That's in verses 10 and 11. Look with me at verse 10. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Now, in the other Gospels, we're told that Jesus healed the high priest's servant, whose ear was cut off. He healed him. Uh, That's in Luke chapter 22, verse 51. But John doesn't tell us that. Because for John, there's something even more important. Please have a look at verse 11. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Now, the cup in in the Bible is very often a cup of suffering. And often, too, it's a cup of God's anger against human sin. It's a cup of God's anger against human sin. And here is Jesus say, saying, shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Let me just say, God's anger against human sin, God is right to be angry at human sin. We're all sinners, not just Judas. Judas. All of us, we're sinners. We've all done things we're ashamed of. I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about us. Me too. We're all sinners. We know we're sinners. We've confessed our sins earlier in the service. We're all sinners. God is right to be angry at our sin. Sin is us substituting ourselves for God. Sin is us substituting ourselves for God, saying, I'll be my own God, thank you. It's my life, I'll live my way. I may believe in God, I may go to church, but I'm going to live the way I want to live, thank you very much. That is sin. That sin is us substituting ourselves for God. And God is rightly angry with that because we got our lives from him. He's the one who's keeping us breathing now. We owe everything to him. So the cup is a cup of suffering, and the extraordinary thing is a cup of suffering, of taking God's anger for our sin, the extraordinary thing is that Jesus comes into the world and God the Father gives the cup, not to you and me, but to Jesus. He sends Jesus into the world and he says, I want you to drink the cup of suffering. I want you to take the punishment for the sins of the world. I want you to go to the cross. And you know the Gethsemane story in verse 1. It's not mentioned here, this prayer that Jesus prayed, but we know it from the other Gospels. And if you come to the Mark drama, you'll, you'll see and hear it. What did Jesus pray in Gethsemane? Take this cup from me. The whole idea of going to the cross and taking the sin of all the world onto his shoulders and taking the punishment for the sin of the whole world onto his shoulders was just terrible for Jesus. Take this cup from me. And three times Jesus prayed that prayer. And three times the answer was no. Because there is no other way for sinners to be saved. Jesus had to die on the cross so that we could be forgiven. And Jesus knew that. In Mark's Gospel, Jesus said these words. We heard it last night. We'll hear them again this evening. Jesus said, the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. That's Mark chapter 10, verse 45. We know what a ransom is. A ransom is a price you pay to set people free. Well, Jesus is saying, when I die on the cross, I am dying so that people can be set free. I'm dying so that people can be forgiven. And that's why God the Father gives Jesus the cup and says, you drink it. You drink it instead of the sinners having to drink it. You drink it. You pay the price. And Jesus says, yes. And he says in verse 11 here, shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? That is why Jesus came came to die for our sins he came to take god's punishment onto his shoulders sin is us substituting ourselves for god the cross is god substituting himself for us do you hear that sin is us substituting ourselves for god The cross is God substituting himself for us. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, the great I Am, going to the cross, being nailed to a cross, and taking the punishment that we deserve. It's astonishing love, isn't it? I know nearly nearly everyone here, you've heard this before, but please lift your heart to Jesus now and thank him. Worship him. This is good news. It's an astonishing thing that we who are trusters in Jesus, we are forgiven. Not because of what we do for God, but because of what God did for us when Jesus died. I have to say that again because it always gets me worshipping. We who are trusted in Jesus, we are forgiven not because of what we do for God, but because of what God did for us when Jesus died. Hallelujah. This is, this passage is telling us what Jesus does, it tells us who Jesus is. And it tells us why Jesus came. Oh, let's worship him. Let's trust him. Let's follow him. Let's crown Jesus with many crowns. It's a great way to begin the journey to Easter. Let's pray. Just a moment's silence in which we can make our own response to God. If there's one thing that God has said to you through this Bible passage, just thank him in the silence, and then I'll lead us in a prayer. Our Father, we are astonished that you love people like us. Thank you for your great love. Thank you for sending Jesus into our world. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were willing to drink the cup and go to the cross. We worship you. Please help us to live our lives, especially in this journey to Easter now, trusting in you, Lord Jesus, following you, Lord Jesus, and trusting you and worshipping you, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, we crown you with many crowns, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.